Welcome into the Fog.net podcast. Scott Chasen alongside Michael Swain, Kansas.247sports.com, here to talk all about Kansas football. 26-7, a loss on the road in McLean Stadium in Waco. Swain, you were watching back here. I was down there with a, a very limited crew, weather-canceling flights, um, and uh, obviously a bit of a trip, especially with like late night and whatnot around the corner. So let, let's start here. What, what did you kind of see watching that game, your, your kind of overview, looking at things from, from 50,000 feet? Well, I think that you nailed it in your kind of post-game story. It was kind of the tale of two halves, or at least I felt like it was, and I think you did too from what I've read. I felt like in the first half it was pretty clear that KU was not as prepared to play as Baylor was. There was just missed assignments. Baylor guys were open. And, I mean, they just made Charlie Brewer look like Peyton Manning back there. Like, he looked really good. And that shouldn't have happened because he's like half decent. And in case you didn't hear the broadcast, there was this whole inner monologue between the play-by-play and color guy of when the backup quarterback or the second quarterback would come in for Baylor. And he really didn't come in at all. So I felt that that was pretty interesting how good Brewer looked, considering the fact that there is kind of this QB struggle going around there with Baylor. I thought that the defense in particular looked okay at parts, but also definitely needs some help. I thought that that touchdown which we'll get to, was a little bit avoidable. I think in general, though, there are some positives you can take away from it. You know, the second half, the defense did play a lot better, and they did slow down the Baylor offense, I felt like. But I think in general, the offense is just lost. Yeah, this was the worst I've seen KU's offense look in a long, long time. And and look, I've been an advocate of the the best way to have success is to, to give it to one guy and stick with it. I still haven't really changed much from that philosophy. I... I but, but I think it needs to expand to, you know, whatever KU does moving forward, they need to be more aggressive because I came away from that game thinking this, which is we saw through three games, KU looked like a lot better teams. We knew they were playing three really bad team teams, and that includes Nichols State, who again got blasted by Tulane. Nichols State was not a good football team. And the, the perception that they were the best team on KU's non-conference schedule might be true. Like that might, but it's you're talking about a team that's still not an FBS team, that's still not a top 100 team, that Kansas is still better than. So uh, again, unless you think Tulane is also you know 25 points better than Kansas, clearly you know Nickel State is also a bad team. So uh, I think what this showed is when the competition got tougher and K was ready for a step, you know K faced a step up in competition. Uh, the Jayhawks were very clearly either not prepared or, or not up to that talent level and. Um, I asked David Beatty after the game straight up. I said, did you feel like this was a step up in talent? He, he didn't really answer the question. He kind of answered it. He said uh, he didn't feel like KU was outmatched. He felt like it was a game that both teams had the opportunity to win. So clearly what he was saying was maybe it was a step up in talent, but he didn't think it was a step up in talent to the extent that like, whoa, we, we still have so far to go, you know, like David Beatty saying that. So um, I came away thinking, understanding his point, maybe not totally disagreeing with it, but also saying that I really think Kansas has a long way to go. And I think the progress of the early weeks was nice and probably good and, and probably reinvigorated the fan base. But again, you, you combine that black mark of the, of the nickel state loss and now a Baylor loss. I mean, again, if they're three and if they're three and O coming into this game, 
I think it has a totally different feel than if you're two and one and now two and two and now staring down the barrel of going, you know, below 500 once again. So I think that was my big takeaway. I'll pose the question to you. Do you think KU was worse than it was in past weeks? Was Baylor that much better? Was it a combination of both or was it a combination of both, but primarily one or the other? So I think it was a combination of both. And I'll put it like this. If you think of the way that they started against Nichols State, you could not have gotten a worse performance to open up the season. Then you go to Central Michigan and you have a really nice kind of offensive performance in the second half. The first half, the offensive line looked a little shaky. It was kind of a 50-50 performance. And then against Rutgers, you have kind of the – it all comes together. You have the six takeaways on defense again. You drop 50 points on a really bad Rutgers team. And I think that looking into this game then, you're just going up against a better team, and you saw on the first play of the game. I mean, Puka Williams gets a nice six-yard run, and he's just slammed to the ground as soon as he gets tackled. Like, And it was by two guys, and you could just tell that Baylor was not going to let him break free all game. And I felt like that from the get-go, you could kind of tell that Baylor – was going to impose their will upon KU and do their best to do so. I thought that really the talent level showed how much of a difference it is just in the fact that Baylor didn't even have their star, uh, I believe it was receiver for the first half, and they still were able to score at will. So I feel like the it was definitely a little bit of both. KU did not play as well as they did in past games, but I also feel like Baylor was just a better team in general. Yeah, I think it was a case of both to an extent. I think what you mentioned about Charlie Brewer right off the top is, is a good point in that Charlie Brewer was probably the Baylor number one quarterback. In fact, I would say he was. And I know our Baylor site was kind of advocating for him to get some more looks, but he was still not like clear and far and away, whatever, like this mega Big 12, how do you stop Charlie Brewer, whatever. And and Joe Deneen said after the game that he thought Brewer looked a little bit faster on film than they had than they had expected. And I mean, it was very clear in the first half. You said he looked like Peyton Manning. He certainly did with how he fit some throws into tight windows against the KU's defense. He also looked like Michael Vick running against I, – I mean, he made – Yeah. KU had it employed a quarterback spy for most of the game. It was Joe Deneen a lot of the time. I think a lot of the time he was just so far out of position or he committed early into the play that Charlie Brewer was able to make things happen with his mobility that I don't think the Jayhawks planned for. And I give the defense credit because in the second half they buckled down. They only allowed three points. Now Baylor had a couple drives and eventually quit trying to score. But the game was not out of reach. So it's not like Baylor was just punting. I mean, the Jayhawks cut it to 16 in the third quarter, I believe. So it wasn't like a 40-point blowout where the defense wasn't playing. And You've seen games like this in the past, you know, end up being 45 to 7 or, or whatever. So you've seen these games get away in the past. So I think very clear the defense is improved. Very clear the defense played a lot better in the second half, although I don't give them too much credit because of how bad they were in the first half. Um, but but I, I think what you saw was a lot of KU just not being at a comparable level of competition to the opponent. I think Baylor had more speed. I think KU's game plan was – uh, too far too run heavy. I think you obviously want to get Puka Williams the ball, but I think when you come out and there was a play on the first drive where Baylor had seven guys in the box and KU had no additional blockers. And I understand sometimes you can run at a disadvantage. Sometimes there are things you can do in blocking or the, or the ways you do it. This run was right up the middle and that's where like five Baylor guys were to three KU linemen. And it was stopped for like a loss of three almost instantly. And again, I'm not claiming to be more of an X, X's and O's expert than Doug Meacham. I'm certainly not, you know, claiming to be more of an X's and O's expert than, you know, David Beatty or Garrett Riley or whoever on the offense is, is calling the play there. But that's a look that you have to imagine that Peyton Bender 
needs to be at least have the freedom to audible out of. Because that's the thing. It's the first drive of the game. It's a scripted series. I don't even know if Peyton Bender had that physical freedom to say, actually, we're going to throw it on this play. But I thought that was a prime example of KU came out and telegraphed just about every single thing it wanted to do. And Baylor was way too good of a team to, even even at not being a good Big 12 team, Baylor was a competent enough team to basically say, no, you're not going to impose your will on us um, because we're a better team. So I, I think that's largely what I saw. You you mentioned Puka Williams, definitely. I mean, from the first play, I, I without being, I'm I'm not trying to insinuate any nefariousness. Um, they roughed him up. They tried to give him extra hits and and whatever within the rules of the game. Nothing illegal whatsoever. I, at least I didn't think. Maybe there was a play I missed, but it seemed to me very clear that their strategy was this freshman thinks he's going to rush for 100, you know, whatever yards and however many touchdowns against us. Let's shut him down. And Puka Williams had one run for 72 yards, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but I put it in my story, which you can read, KansasStuff247Sports.com. He was close to like 1 or 1.5 yards per carry on the rest of his carries outside of that one run. And part of that leads me to believe that uh, maybe not that he's being overused, but that he's not being used creatively enough and that he's not being used at all in the passing game. They're using him in, in pass blocking situations, which he's shown to be bad at at this point. He might get better at it, but he's not shown anything at that in this point. And, and you're seeing a guy like Khalil Herbert just completely waste away after, I mean, he was incredible in a sophomore year until he dealt with a hamstring injury. His yards per carry went down from about 7.5 pre-hamstring injury to a much lower total post, and I think he ended at about 5.5. So that probably tells you they went went down to at least about three-something per carry. So uh, obviously that hamstring injury hindered him. But this year, you know, he was right back there averaging six and a half yards per carry coming into this game. I don't understand why he got two carries last week. I don't understand. He might have got one or two this week again. I think he got two for like six yards. Uh, the staff has talked about not overusing Puka Williams. And again, I understand wanting to use him a lot. But when you bring him in and it's just run, 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 run like they have been, you're going to get him killed and you're going to get him injured. So uh, to this point, I, I think offensively was the biggest issue. I thought the defense wasn't good in the first half, but I thought very clearly the offense was the was the biggest issue. A- any more overarching thoughts on, on kind of the performance before we get into our grades? I really just kind of agree with what you said about how they use Puka Williams. And I'll talk a little bit more about that once we get into the kind of the offense with my grade, because I have a couple of interesting thoughts about it. I just think that in general, they just got to be more creative with the way they use Puka Williams. They're so just generic and basic play calling. Like Puka Williams should not run the ball on first and 10 to start a drive. Like that's just my opinion. That's just a basic play call that you know you're going to run. So why not use your running back that's a junior or even use Don Williams, who's a sophomore. Just use some guys that can actually take some hits so you're not wearing down Puka Williams. Early. Yeah, or throw it. I mean, every I have yeah. they. I think they've done that every game that they've been out is like the first and 10 run has been for Puka. And David Beatty said after the game, he's like, well, you can't just keep running on first and second downs if it's not working. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you use the run to establish the pass, sure. But if the run's not working, use the pass and then come back with the run. It's, again, just mixing it up. And and we had that that series, Swain, you and me watching, where in the game in Memorial Stadium where I turned to you and I said, I bet you $1,000 this is going to be a run to Puka Williams. And it was obviously going to be a run to Puka Williams just because of how they were lined up, the situation, and that's how they start drives. And I think they've kind of put themselves in a situation where everyone knows what's coming, especially when Miles Kendrick came into the game. Uh, and, and let's take a second to talk about him because 
two, he had one throw that was kind of a deep throw to Evan Fares. It was poorly underthrown. Uh, Fares came back and almost caught it in part because the defensive back, the Baylor defensive back, fell down. It should have been an interception, but he slipped. The ball was so overthrown that he w- or underthrown that he was not able to stop his momentum. Fares was able to turn around, jump up, get two hands on the ball, unable to come up with a catch. I wouldn't really call that a drop because the ball was so misplaced, but it was a catchable ball. So, uh, and, and Stefan Robinson, I think, bailed Peyton Bender out on a bad pass too, where he tipped it up to himself, a pass in traffic. Bender also very easily could have had, and we'll talk about the quarterbacks, could have had an interception and a pick six too. So really, really rough day for the offense and for the quarterbacks. Kendrick, though, appeared to maybe injure his shoulder. Um, KU obviously didn't confirm that after the game. We'll expect them to hear an update on Monday, Big 12 Coaches Teleconference, or Tuesday at David Beatty's weekly press conference, or something at Hawk Talk if he decides to say something there. Uh, Miles Kendrick did not play. He was unavailable, quote, David Beatty said. After the uh, collision, whatever it was, Puka Williams ran for 72 yards, and then all of a sudden Peyton Bender comes into the game and throws for a touchdown. So uh, if the staff wants, they can redshirt Miles Kendrick because the new rule, he's only played in four games. I think that would maybe be an advisable option, especially if you don't think you're good enough to win any other games this year, except maybe the K-State game, uh, maybe, maybe the... Uh, you would say Texas Tech, but I mean, you just saw what they did to Oklahoma State. Maybe, maybe there's another game or two, Texas at home, that you feel like you have a chance in. But uh, uh, again, if if that opportunity is there to hold Kendrick out, and then you have three more years of him, I think that's an option you consider, considering he may not be ready yet. However, what you've kind of done by playing him in the first four games is put yourself in a situation where... Uh, if you need him, if Peyton Bender got injured and Carter Stanley, something happened and you needed a quarterback, well, now if you put him in a game, his red shirt is gone. So I think the staff's in a very interesting situation with that. And we'll, we'll see how they handle that or what his health is. He may be out for the year. You know, uh, we really don't know to this point. So uh, Kay, looking to get Kendrick back. We'll know a lot more about that on Monday. Actually, shortly after, if you're listening to this Monday morning, we'll know about it shortly after. And it's, it's Monday afternoon. Uh, head to kansas.247sports.com and you'll get an update on that. So let's get into the grades. Swain, I will throw it over to you and shut up for a minute. Talking about quarterback play, uh, where is your grade at? I originally wanted to do a D-, minus, but then I th- kind of thought about just the whole entire game as a whole and what the quarterbacks brought to the offense, and I decided to go with an F. I thought that in general, so the quarterbacks, you know, all three – Carter Stanley, Miles Kendrick, and Peyton Bender combined for 16 of 27 for 150 yards, and there was just no consistency in the pass game at all. I think Peyton Bender had one nice throw to Steven Sims on the near sideline, and he only had the other touchdown pass, the nice fade throw to Jeremiah Booker. But besides really those two throws, the other big game they had was to Kerr Johnson through the air, and that was a horribly thrown pass that Kerr Johnson somehow batted up to himself. Or maybe it was Stephon Yeah, Robinson. I think it was Robinson, yeah. Is that yeah? So it was one of those two, um, and I thought that they were just so basic in the pass game, and the th- and just the passes and the plays were just uh, just everything is just so bland with the offense currently. I, and I'll talk about that when I get to the offense in a second. But I thought that the quarterbacks just left a lot to be desired. I will say the only run that Puka Williams broke that seventy-two yard run, Miles Kendrick was the quarterback. I'm I don't know if that's connecting any dots to you know lanes opening up when Kendrick's in there just 
because in the back of the head, he can still run the ball. You know, I don't know if that's, you know, why that happened, but I thought it's something that is interesting and it's kind of stuck with me at least. It's definitely worth taking a look at. He was injured, I believe, before that play. So I'm not sure if he would have even been, we obviously have to go back and look to see exactly how, how mobile he was at that point. But uh, very, very interesting and a good point there. I gave them a D minus because uh, no turnovers. So I, I think if you have no turnovers and um, I, Bender threw the one touchdown pass, it was a, it was a perfectly thrown fade. The difference between that fade and Miles Kendrick fade last week is the Miles Kendrick fade. Well, it was a fine pass. It was just a fine pass. Like Booker had to wait on it, and if the defense the defensive back for Rutgers was like at all competent he would have been able to knock that ball away. He never even turned back for the ball. He was just kind of blindly jumping up and down and flailing his arms. The one that Bender threw, the Baylor def- defensive back could not have got to, no matter what. And Bender checked into that play. It was not a design fade. Uh, they had one-on-one coverage. Bender identified it with Booker and said, this is the play. Booker said after the game that Bender actually changed the play to get him that route. That was a Bender call. So for that, I, I think it was a-, a complete play. However, D minus. I mean, I mean, come on. The, the quarterbacks were... Um, inconsistent to say the least. Bender should have had a pick six, six on the first drive, and it was a third and long, and the pass he threw was like a six-yard pass. So, like, whether or not you think he should have been trying to get the first down or whatever, or throw it, whatever, he threw a ball into triple coverage in, like, 10 yards in front of the sticks. And you can't do – I mean, that that's just a mistake. At that point, ground the ball, take a sack, whatever. Uh, Bender also took a sack in the red zone. Now the offensive line completely fell apart. Uh, but at the same time, I, I mean, maybe there's nothing he could have done without getting intentional grounding, but it, you you never want to take a sack in that situation. They missed the field goal. I'm not going to blame Peyton Bender for them missing a field goal. The field goal was at the 31 yard line, uh, or you know, it was a 48 yarder, I guess, after they they backed it up. But get, that's certainly within Gabriel Ruiz's range, and it had the distance. It was just incredibly wide right. Now he was facing a rush, but again, if the blocking holds up there, then he's not facing that rush and doesn't have to hurry. So. I'm not going to blame Peyton Bender for them missing a field goal. That would be a little bit unfair and too harsh. But I am going to blame him for you know what he did wrong in that game. And, and I think you saw it in that KU offense, zero points in the first half. Uh, really, they got to like midfield once uh, at, or, or passed it on that field goal drive, and that was aided basically by two 15-yard penalties. Uh, two personal fouls by Baylor was the best you know KU offense, so... Uh, D minus felt like the right grade there for me, but I certainly understand the F. It was a, a really poor performance. Carter Stanley looked fine at the end, but Baylor had you know given yeah. up at that point. So uh, also garbage time. Yeah, yeah, of course. So offense. Uh, what what's your grade for offense? Um, another F. Um, I think that in general, like, as I mentioned, talking about the quarterbacks, the play calling was very generic. I could have myself called. I'd say probably about a third of the plays of where they were going to go. I thought that they did some interesting things to try and get Puka Williams in the running game. All of them came on second and long plays. They tried a bunch of different little bunch formations in the backfield with Caperton Humphrey, the fullback back there, number 35, along with Herbert. And then directly behind the quarterback would have been Puka. I thought that was pretty interesting. The ways that they tried to get Puka Williams and Khalil Herbert just in the run game. But as you mentioned, kind of at the top, Khalil Herbert has to touch the ball more like, two carries is not what he should be touching the ball. I think that they need to move him to be that first down back and just use Pooh Williams as a, as kind of this toy and key player that he can be, but you just can't use him in generic positions because the KU offensive line is not better than any other defensive line that they're going to be seeing. So 
you're already at a disadvantage there. So you have to get creative with the play calling. And I also thought that in general, this may go back to the quarterbacks, but they didn't check out of a lot of those plays where they had the box filled. I think I counted five or six where the box was filled and they still ran the ball up the middle. I thought that that was really poor. That they weren't able to get out of that. And I really just need to see the offensive run game, just be more creative. That's it. I just, the running backs are the best part of this offense and to see the lack of creativity to try and get those running backs in good positions and in space was just disappointing for me. Yeah. How about just throwing Puka Williams a pass? Like put him out wide. He can play in the slot. He doesn't have to only play in the slot, but that's kind of what I mean because they did, they mixed it up with that kind of diamond back formation. And I think in fact they threw, I give him some credit because at first I was like, wow, they're really just going to run out of this formation every time. And it didn't work the first few times. Uh, but then they, I believe, ran the fade out of it. The the Peyton Bender play that he checked out of was most likely a run when he checked into that fade. And I thought that was actually really creative. It was a, a very clear, you know, running formation. And he stepped out and, and you know, obviously lofted up, like I mentioned, a really nice pass. If I didn't say, I gave them an F2. I, I mean, again, the, the offense was just flat out bad. And at the end of the day, the Kansas football team has too much talent to be held to seven points against a Baylor team that coming into the game, their fans are like legitimately worried about, you know, what is Kansas going to look like? What is, what is Kansas going to do? Is Kansas going to beat Baylor? Baylor just, you know, got thrashed by Duke. Oh, I overheard a conversation in the press box where someone was like, Kansas is obviously, or, or Duke is obviously playing a lot better than Kansas or Baylor's obviously playing a lot better against Duke than they were playing against or against Kansas than they were playing against Duke. But he's like, at the same time, this Kansas team is terrible. Puka Williams had one one catch for five yards this week. One catch for five yards. He had 14 carries for 89 yards. Again, that's one carry for 72 yards and 13 carries for 17 yards. It's basically worse than 1.5 yards per carry. If he's getting 15 touches, that's fine, but 13 or 12 or 11 of them cannot be in between the tackles. They need to find ways to get him around the edge, get him in the corner, get him in space. And when when the carries are as predictable as drive starting, runs between the tackles that are just getting him slammed into the ground, that's how you see. I, it's not fair to say take out the 72-yard run, what were his numbers, because then it's like, we'll take out all the bad runs. Oh, look how great. He averaged 72 yards per carry. You can't, like, that's not fair to do. But at the same time, having two runs that were more than five yards, if I'm not mistaken, that's a problem. And when you have other capable running backs, that doesn't mean Cole Herbert needs 20 carries and Puka Williams needs five. But if you give Puka Williams 10 carries and you give Khalil Herbert 10 carries and then maybe Puka Williams gets a catch or two or three, or you drop Puka Williams down to seven carries, try and get him three or four times out in space on a reception, stick him in the slot once a game and have him go deep. Now you're finding these creative ways and the defenses can't just say, we are going to key in on this guy. We are not going to let this guy beat us because it certainly seemed that's what Baylor did. And you know, after the game, it was kind of inconsistent. You know, people still hadn't seen film, so you know, weren't really sure did Baylor do anything special to take Puka Williams away. I don't think they did anything special. I just think they gave him the proper attention based off the KU scout and what the KU scout would have told them. And I think, you know, again, he broke free, broke loose for that one run in the first half or in the second half, and that was pretty much it for him. He, he pretty much didn't do anything else the entire day. So uh, I, I think Puka Williams is a much better player and needs to be used much more creatively. That was probably among my biggest complaints. I gave them an F. Let's get to the run defense. I gave the run defense a D plus. 
I would have given it a C without Brewer, uh, but he's part of it, I guess, even though those were pass plays turned runs. First half run defense, I thought, was, again, generally fine, except for the Brewer runs, which I thought was really poor. And then second half, I thought they were fine. So uh, I, I don't have too many complaints other than the quarterback spy thing. So if you want to put that in pass defense instead, uh, then I would give the run defense a C. But if you're putting it in run defense, then I'm going to give him a D plus. Yeah, I, I considered it in the run defense too in my grade. I actually gave him a D minus. I thought that it was still not not as good of a defensive performance against the run that they've shown that they can put on. They gave up 190 yards on 40 carries, five yards carry average. I thought that the quarterback spy thing that you mentioned there was really important. And I thought that that was a big area that showed me the lack of just confidence from the coaching staff to be able to make some sort of adjustment for me at least because Brewer I believe he had four scrambles if I remember correctly and I think two or three of them came on a third down and third and longs where the defense can get off the field and you just can't have that and I know that they did put Deneed in the spy later on in the game in the second half and Brewer wasn't able to run as much but I just thought that that lack of adjustment after the first two times that it happened that really was frustrating to see um and I thought that besides that, I you know no monstrous runs this time, but I still think there was a lot that the run that they could have done better against the run. And let's I want to shift right to the pass defense there and talk about Clint Bowen because at halftime Clint Bowen basically came in and was like, according to the players, what the message was. It wasn't time to change everything. It was what are you guys doing? This is not what the game plan is, and and that's interesting and and. The fact that Hassan Defense told me a big part of it, they tweaked a few things, specifically with the quarterback spying. I think Deneen had done a little bit of spying in the first half, but they decided to start kind of running you know, some stints at the line or, or some stunts at the line to keep him in the pocket was how Joe Deneen kind of described it or, or to just make life a little bit more difficult for him. But really with the secondary, I thought the secondary was really bad and I gave it, again, a, a D plus mostly because it tightened in the second half, only allowed three points, the KU defense. Three errors on the touchdowns. I did a little, a, a quick film room post about it this morning. Um, the first was a Corion Harris. Uh, he was in double cloud, a uh, double cloud look, according to Beatty. And what that means is essentially you have three defensive backs, uh, two, I believe, two technically two corners and a safety because of injuries, but it might have been two safeties and a corner. I think it was Tornado Defense and Mike Lee. And Baylor sent three wide receivers deep. And so then when they had the fourth one on the right side kind of go down the sideline, now all of a sudden you have four wide receivers and, and only three safeties. Corian Harris was guarding the flat at the line of scrimmage. So his role, if there is no one there, is that he needs to drop and go backward. And again, Beatty said this after the game. This is not me just like making wild leaps and, and jumps here. Um, and and Corian Harris dropped off, but he didn't seem to notice that the receiver was right behind him. And so Baylor was able to throw for that touchdown. Beatty said after the game he would have liked to see uh, Corio and Harris just have a little bit more awareness in that situation, which I, I think is perfectly understandable for a freshman. I did not think that was too terrible. Second one, I want to say Steven Sims got burned, if I'm not mistaken. There were, there were two, one Steven Sims and one uh, Son Defense and Jeremiah McCullough. On Sims, again, kind of a similar look. I want to say they were in cover two seam, uh, basically two safeties deep, and the guy uh, the receiver ran past Bryce Tornadin into Steven Sims' zone, and Sims just wasn't deep enough. And the receiver was able to get behind him. Sims took responsibility after the game, said, I need to be deeper. Now, I think the receiver bobbled that catch. I actually thought it was an incomplete pass. However, they gave it to him, and you can't complain if you miss the coverage. If, you, if it's perfect coverage, 
then you can look to the ref and be like, come on, man, you know, wh- what are you doing here? But if you blow the coverage in the first place, you can't look to the ref. You, you got to get the coverage right first. Uh, the third one, uh, what Hassan defense told me is Jeremiah McCullough and, uh, and himself were both helping too far out of their zones. And again, that's something where if they can recognize that they're not in their zones, it's not necessarily on the coaching staff. Maybe it's on the coaching staff for not getting them in the right, you know, more prepared. At the same time, they did have an injury to Ricky Thomas, who had been pretty good in, in coverage, actually. And I think one of emerging is one of their best defensive backs. Uh, uh, if Maybe if not their best, although Sha- Shaquille Taylor uh, certainly looks to be among the best at this point. I don't think he had any major catches on him all day. Um, but... Uh, again, two guys in the zone. And then once the pass was thrown, I think Jeremiah McCullough, we didn't talk to him after the game, so I don't know this 100%. But in my view, it looked like he just horribly misjudged it because he actually ended up on the other side of the Baylor wide receiver. So he actually ran across his face, but never really swiped at the ball or tried to pick it or anything. I'm not sure if he was having trouble locating it, if he just misjudged it where it was. But it seemed to me, at least, that he should have been able to bat that down if he had seen where the ball was. So KU had two guys in the area, the pass goes in between, and defense said that he felt like it was his fault. Uh, it was probably both of their fault, but again, three touchdowns, three complete lapses, and the first one was interesting because of some coaching stuff we can get to in a minute, uh, but I gave the pass defense a D plus, and then Swain, give your, your pass defense and special teams. I gave it a D plus for special teams. Uh, they missed a field goal, negative punt return yardage, and they returned three kicks, which is fine, but didn't they averaged like a starting field position at the 17. Uh, when they return kicks. So if you're going to return a kick, make sure you're getting to the 25. So D plus for both. Yep. I gave past defense a D plus. There's really not much I can, can add to that besides just the fact that they gave up 19 of 27 passing for 221. I thought that was bad. Again, you went over the airs. So I'll just go into special teams. I gave them a D I'm including timeouts and coaching decisions in this special teams grade as well. I will say that. And I'll talk about the timeouts in a second, because I thought that that was particularly interesting. Again, you know, Skylar Thompson first bad game as a Jayhawk so far. I, I'm not concerned going forward because he has shown he can't punt the ball and punting is one of those things that it, you can have a bad day and that's okay. He's shown that he can do it in the past and they still have Gagan who is also good. So I'm not concerned there. With Gabriel Rui, that's where I want to start, and that's where we kind of get into the whole timeout thing. So David Beatty, this is the second time he's iced Rui this year. I think he did it against Nickel State, and I think Rui did make that field goal that one time. Um, and if you haven't seen it yet, Gifhawk, guy on Twitter, has a whole spreadsheet of the times Beatty has called the timeout, and there's a lot of times that he calls it on fourth down. So I wasn't surprised when he did it in the first half when it was fourth and 22 in the Baylor 31, but Ice Gabriel Rui, he ended up missing the kick right. That was the first timeout that they used in the first half. And the second timeout they used in the first half was when the play clock was winding down. It's not a bad timeout to use. You never want to use a timeout when the play clock's winding down, but it does happen. So I didn't think that was bad. But I thought that the timeout usage in the second half especially was egregious. First time out of the second half um, came on a third and 12 after Jose's Ogabor had his sack. You shouldn't be calling a timeout after a sack. That's like when you put pressure on the defense because now it's a, you know, now it's the third and twelve, and you know defense has to come up with the play and all that. By calling a timeout, you give the defense time to draw up a play. That next play was a nineteen-yard pass that gave him the first down and moved the chains. Then a couple plays later, another timeout was called. With this was the punt on fourth down where. Baylor decided, you know, they brought the offense out on fourth down. They were just going to let the play clock go down. 
KU had 12 guys on the field. They didn't need to call the timeout. Baylor was not going to hike the ball unless they would have noticed it. But I thought the play clock was already kind of winding down at that point. So that's the timeout usage for KU in the game. I thought they was really poor and it just showed just the lack of decisiveness with the coaching staff, you know, calling it on the fourth down, even after a sack, just the timing of it all was just not where you want to use your timeouts. You want to use your timeouts when you want to drop a play on third and long on an important drive, or when you need to stop the clock because you're driving and there's under two minutes left in the game. It's a close game. You know, that stuff is going to come up if KU is in a close game and they're going to need those timeouts going forward. Yeah, I completely agree. Calling a timeout before, like you mentioned, you never want to call a timeout before fourth down, but if you call, if you have to, you better have a great play. It better be because you looked up, you looked how you lined up, and it was like, oh, God, not, oh, we're calling a timeout to kick a field goal, oh, we're calling a timeout to punt. You just never want to waste you know, timeouts like that. I also advocated in my, uh, you know, in my uh, kind of post-game wrap-up column, what surprised me, what didn't in a thought. I think KU should be a lot more aggressive on fourth downs, even taking chances that maybe wouldn't necessarily be analytically like, yeah, slam dunk, go for it. But I think it's clear KU is not, you know, going to out talent teams. So I think that's kind of a compromise that they have to make um, in that scenario. Next up, KU facing off against Oklahoma State. The Cowboys are coming off an embarrassing loss to Texas Tech. So uh, they'll be fired up and ready to go. 11 a.m. game Saturday at Memorial Stadium homecoming game anything to add before we get out of here no i am just going to say that i really hope the play calling is a lot more exotic especially being homecoming hopefully it's a good crowd day after late night in the fog i am hopeful but pessimistic too it's 11 a.m after late night yep no oh boy what fun that, that's not a great recipe because look i I'm, I'm just saying, I think students after a night at basketball uh, of fun and basketball like to go out and enjoy beverages um, at certain places in Lawrence, and I am guessing not many of them will be awake at 11 a.m. Call it a hunch, Michael. Call it a hunch. I know I'll be up. Okay, that's good. That's good. We will we will be up, so you can, uh, at the very least, if you can't make it into Memorial Stadium, uh, make sure to follow along it. You know, Kansas.247sports.com. A lot of content up on the site uh, today, yesterday, all, all that good stuff. So uh, make sure you're checking that out. All right. Well, this has been our wrap-up podcast of KU versus Baylor basketball season coming up soon. So that will mean some basketball podcasts soon and uh, and some excitement there. And maybe, who knows? Maybe we'll get a late-night late podcast going sometime this week. So uh, anyway, this has been Scott Chasen and Michael Swain, Kansas.247sports.com, Fog.net podcast, and we will talk to you next week.